Good morning, my RBC family. Let's pray together before we start. Father, we look to you this morning. We thank you for your love to us. We thank you, Father, for your daily grace in our lives. We thank you for the precious blood of Christ. We thank you that we live in the reality of having our sins forgiven, knowing that our home is in heaven, and knowing that we follow Jesus in our lives. And Father, we pray that today, as we reflect on a few of the little snapshots, the few stories that we have of Jesus today in our passage, that you would help us, Father, to enter into, to grasp in some new way what it means to follow in his steps. So we ask for your guidance, for your blessing this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's tackle this passage. It is in the last part of Mark chapter 9. And it starts off with in verse 33. The title of that section is, Who is the Greatest? They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who is the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, We saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward." And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. All right, let's go through this section by section, and see if we can just pick up some lessons here, some reflections. So the first one, right in verse 33 and 34, as they arrive in Capernaum and settle in a house, Jesus asks, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. I love this passage. These are the founders of the New Testament church. These are the the men that God chose to be his 
the disciples, the closest ones to Jesus. These are high potential people that have the capacity to lead. They have been walking with Jesus. They have been, they have been hearing his teaching and ab- absorbing and grasping in a limited sense what Jesus was all about. And as they're walking along, what are they talking about? They are arguing about who is the greatest. Some suggest, or some passages or translations say who is going to be the greatest, but it seems like it actually, they were discussing who is the greatest. Now, of course, they must have each been suggesting that the other one was the greatest. After all, in Philippians 2, we read that in lowliness of mind, we should each esteem other better than ourselves. But in fact, we know very well, they weren't suggesting the other one was the greatest. They were suggesting that each of them was suggesting, or at least some of them, that they themselves were the greatest. And of course, knowing the reason why or suggesting the reason why. Brothers and sisters, you and I all struggle with pride. And pride comes out in many, many ways. I'm just a proud old man saved by the grace of God, and he needs to work on me every day. If I had been in that company, I would no doubt have been participating in the discussion. But Jesus goes, it goes he, he tackles this with a question. So, what were you talking about? Don't you love it? <coughs> of course, Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. But he just probes them with a question. You and I follow an amazing Savior. Jesus reflects the heart of God perfectly. Remember, he was able to say in John 14 to Philip, He that has seen me has seen the Father. So here, Jesus doesn't light into them. He doesn't say, hey, what are you guys doing? Don't you know that that's... He starts with a question. He just says, so, what were you talking about? And of course, they didn't answer because they had been arguing about who should be the greatest. Do you ever find yourself not wanting to answer when God probes you in your spirit? Do you ever find yourself wanting to just ignore? Kind of foolish. He knows anyway, but it is our human heart. And these guys were embarrassed. They were like, I don't want to answer. I don't want to tell Jesus what we were talking about. It's embarrassing just to to talk about. Oh my. So we each need the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives. You know, it's one of the one of the things that show us that the Bible is in fact the Word of God, that the heroes of our faith are all those that have, or at least most of them, have recorded failures in their lives. Of the Old Testament major characters, I think we would find that Daniel and possibly Joseph are the only ones that we don't have failures recorded. God deals with us in spite of our 
failures in spite of our shortcomings to build his kingdom. And you know, he also likes us. I sometimes like to make sure my grandchildren understand the difference between loving them and liking them. They need to know that Papa has both feelings towards them, that he loves them and that he likes them. And you and I need to understand that from God's heart today. Yes, you and I mess up, just like these folks did here. And Jesus deals with us and he asks us questions and he probes and he draws us along and he teaches us. But remember, he paid for you and I with his blood. And it says in Isaiah 53 that he will see of the fruit of the travail of his soul and will be satisfied. You and I are loved and liked by God the Father and by our Savior, the Lord Jesus. All right. Oh my. So he sits down, he calls the 12 disciples over to him, and he says, this is verse 35 now, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This, brothers and sisters, is a core tenant of the kingdom and of the family of God. If you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant. It's an upside-down kingdom. In my work with Youth for Christ, it's a, it's a large organization around the globe. And so, inevitably, there ends up being org charts. And org charts show the who reports to who and sort of how the overall structure works, who has different responsibilities and how everything, uh, everything happens, who, who, who reports to who. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He's going to not like one and like the other. And we try to make sure of that in Youth for Christ, that nobody has two bosses. There's a clear definition and reporting structure. But one of the challenges that I face is, in reflecting God's kingdom, the leader should be at the bottom, and then the org chart should show the line starting with the person at the bottom who is the leader, and then going up so that the folks that are at the front lines of the ministry actually working with youth, they're actually at the top of the organization. But ironically, you can't find software that does that. Everything that is org chart related in its systems, obviously designed by men, always starts with the leader at the top and then assumes you're going to build the structure down and down and down, cascading down. In the kingdom of God, it's an upside-down kingdom. Those that are in leadership are those that serve. I would suggest to you that we have fine examples of this in so many. I will not mention them by name today, but over my years, now over 30 years here at Rosemount Bible Church, I have seen over and over again those that are leading, serving. Those that are in positions of responsibility, being open and available and wanting to serve. And it is a beautiful thing to see. When that service is done with joy, when that service is done quietly and with no fanfare, 
it's a beautiful thing and reflects well on the kingdom of God. So if you find yourself in one of those positions, be thankful and know that it is right. Just a couple of Sundays ago, we had had a packed weekend. It was Sunday afternoon and we're finally on our way home. And my dear wife says, oh, Dave. Now when that happens, I know I'm in trouble because it means we aren't quite going home yet. There's something else still to happen. And as it turned out, there was a dear lady who was very close to us and very loved by us who needed a toilet fixed and a shower head replaced. And Katie thought this would be a good Sunday afternoon project for me while she visited with the lady. I must say, when it was suggested to me, the, these thoughts of the kingdom weren't the first thing that came to my head. Um, but due to the fact that I love my wife and that I know what is God's order, um, we actually had a very special afternoon uh, tackling that project. There is a joy in this journey. And as we discover the realities of the kingdom, it actually spurs us on, as it says in Hebrews, to love and to good works. So be a part of this kingdom. Recognize that it's an upside-down kingdom. Jesus illustrates this by taking a little child. And certainly in the culture of the day, and I, and I would say to a large extent today, um, he uses a child to show the importance and the heart of God. He says, anyone who welcomes this child on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. So he was really teaching them, very simply, that those that don't seem to be very important are very important in God's sight. Let's remember that as we serve him this week. Let's go on now to see the next challenge. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. We got the same challenge today. We follow a rejected Christ. We follow a man that came and showed us the heart of God and showed us how to live 2,000 years ago, spent a lot of his time in a small fishing village called Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, kind of the north end of the Sea of Galilee, nondescript, out of the way, tiny community. Many, many of his miracles were done there. We read the words of Jesus, we read the stories of Jesus, and we then, by the grace of God and indwelt by the Spirit of God, we try to live those out today. But we don't get it all right. Do you really think that any one of us are going to sit down with the Lord one day and he's going to look at us and say, George, 
You got it 100% correct. I don't think so. So, with our brothers and sisters that practice their faith a little bit differently than us, that do things or that interpret scripture a little bit different than us, let's be really careful in terms of just loving them, embracing them, knowing that we are on the journey together. As many of you know, I have the privilege of being a part of an organization called Youth for Christ International that works in over 100 countries around the globe. There are many different Christians from many different denominations that work together to see young people reached with the life-changing message of the gospel. We don't agree on everything. We don't agree on many things. But what we agree on, as Paul tells us very clearly, what he passed on to us of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There's a fundamental faith that is non-negotiable. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one and only eternal Son of God. Anything that brings down Jesus is bad. Anything that exalts man is bad. But within the, the fundamentals of the faith, for all of us that know and follow a rejected Christ, knowing him as our Savior and Lord, knowing that he is God, knowing that he is the one and only Savior, knowing that he died and he rose again, those of us that know and believe and follow him, let's be careful that we simply pray for and encourage our brothers and sisters, even if they practice their faith a little bit differently than we do. Do you know there is only one recorded failure of a major Old Testament character in the New Testament? It's quite something because there's, if you read Hebrews 11 and you go back to some of the stories of the actual characters in the Old Testament and then you read the account in Hebrews 11, it's all good in Hebrews 11. And yet, they had definite failures back in the Old Testament. And when you read the book of Hebrews, you know that the author of the book of Hebrews was very, very well taught. He knew the Old Testament. And yet, as he records about the saints, of the, the people of faith, in Hebrews 11, it's all good. Why is that? Is it a contradiction in Scripture? Kind of, but it's a good one. It's one that is because of the blood of Christ. It's because of God's forgiveness. It gives us a, it gives us a, a, a preview of what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. You and I know we fail in many ways, but all of the sins, all of the selfishness, all of the mixed motives are gone in the blood of Christ. And you and I that know and follow him, in a coming day, we will be rewarded for what has been done for him, and the rest will be gone. But there is one case. It's in Romans 11, verse 3 and 4. And it is where Elijah 
prayed a really, yeah, a, a really interesting prayer. He said, Lord, I'm the only one left. They've thrown down your altars. They've rejected you. I'm the only one left, and now they're seeking me. They're seeking my life to take it away. And the Lord responded to him and said, I still have 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Do you hear the fundamentals in that response from the Lord? So when you and I want to diss our brothers and sisters in Christ, be really, really careful. God doesn't appreciate it. He sees those that practice their faith in a different way to us, but who love and honor Jesus and have received him as Savior. And he would say to us, those people have accepted my son as Savior. My spirit lives in them. They are my children. Don't diss my children. Goes on to say, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. So brothers and sisters, keep to the simple things, keep to the basics, make sure that you and I are just living each day for God's glory and being kind, being kind to others, giving that cup of cold water. That little detail on the journey today can be the most important thing, in fact, that you did today. The next passage, if one if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me, remember that child that he had with him that he was actually holding, one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone around your neck. This is a reminder, brothers and sisters, that what you and I do and how we live our lives affects others. And we need to be very careful that the lives we are living are such that they do not offend or do not turn aside or, or confuse the next generation. We need to live lives that do reflect and draw others and set an example. Paul said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He then goes on to say, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. And he then goes on to talk about the foot and the eye. Brothers and sisters, walking with the Lord and pleasing Him is a daily discipline. And there are things in our lives, there are weaknesses, the sin that easily besets us, and it can be things that we do, it can be places that we go, it can be things that we see, or we allow our eyes to see. Get rid of them if they are not those things that are pleasing to Jesus. It is fundamental to a walk with the Lord that we have personal disciplines in our lives. So then, in verse 49, our last section, for everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good, for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. This passage is an amazing um, practical 
teaching coupled with the reminder that this life is temporary and that there are eternal consequences to those things that we do here in this life. He warns us of the fires of hell. He warns us that the wages of sin is death. The Lord Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is the judge. As he was here walking among men, he was fully aware that he would be the judge of all the earth. And so he warns because there are consequences of sin that is not washed away in the blood of Christ. If there's anyone listening to this message today and you have not personally received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I challenge you to do so today. The fires of hell are real and they are at the end of a life without Christ. I had the privilege just a couple of weeks ago with a woman that we have known for close to 30 years and she is nearing the end of her life. And I was able to look her in the eye and say, Cindy, when you leave this world and you get to the gates of heaven and St. Peter meets you at the gate and says, Cindy, why should I let you into heaven? What will you say? And Cindy answered me, looking me right in the eye. She said, I will say, because Jesus died for my sins. That made my day. Brothers and sisters, we are the salt of the earth. Jesus reminds us here, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live at peace with each other. There's many qualities of salt. I won't go into them today as we wrap, but simply to say it's a preservative. It enhances flavor. Our bodies need it. You and I need to be salt and light in this world. If we are followers of Jesus, may God use us May his word and his spirit preserve us, and then may we be used to preserve others. May he use us to point others to Christ as salt enhances flavor. You and I are called to follow in the steps of Jesus. We have seen some of those steps in this message today. May you and I be found faithful. The passage that is just so touching in all of this is Jesus taking that child in his arms and conveying to us in that way the simplicity, the depth, the love, the understanding, the peace, all that is part of you and I being children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for these passages, these reflections, these stories that help us to just grasp a little bit of the kingdom. 
And Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive, to understand, and then to live it out. We know that these disciples needed to be told over and over again that it was a slow grasp. And Lord, we know that that is the same for us. But I would pray today that in each one listening to this message, that there would be somewhat of an additional grasp, a fresh grasp of what your kingdom is all about, and that you would then give us each the grace to live it out. And Father, if there are those listening to this message that do not yet know Jesus as Savior, I would pray, Father, that you would speak, that you would reveal yourself by your Holy Spirit, and that they would truly accept and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior today. So we thank you, we bless you, we praise you, and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.